another episode of Hoops Temple Podcast. You all know me, Nathan Schwartz. Uh, our dynamic duo of Nico and Dylan are off today because we're doing a very special episode. Joining me today is Jacob Birkenshaw of the Overstated NBA Show. Jacob, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nate. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, get into this. When you hit me up about this, I thought it was a really interesting concept. And uh, yeah, excited to be here. Thanks a lot. So one of the things that got me active on NBA social media, NBA Facebook groups, uh, starting a blog, was I really wanted to answer, you know, who is the best players in the league of all time? And uh, I grew up with that thin um, kind of half picture book, half like three paragraphs on each players that came out when the NBA did their 50 at 50. I think I got that when I was like eight years old and now the pages are worn thin. Um, and I remember getting engrossed in the debate of like, why isn't Bob McAdoo in here? And where's Dominique Wilkins? And they have retired before I really even started following the league. So it got me interested in the older guys and interested in history. And now that we're doing 75 and 75, um, you know, I, I wanted to have you on because you're one of the few other people that I know who is actually taking the time to build some sort of a matrix to, to have a, a semi-unbiased top 100 top how far back down does your list go uh right now uh it's accurate down to about 550 but i just call it like a top 500 that is awesome my list has uh 3500 but i would not say it is accurate <laughs> through 3500 <laughs> i was wondering um could you, if you could give us a little bit of a brief explanation of how your list operates similarly to you this these questions really fascinated me coming up because coming up as you know if your listeners haven't figured out i'm not american i'm from england so i came to basketball slightly later in life like you know into my 20s and in, in like late teens into my 20s i obviously knew about it so guys like you know charles barkley guys like um patrick ewing hakeem olajuwon these names that i knew in passing i had very little cultural kind of an impact on me growing up because I'm from England. So then hearing these names, I was like, okay, but how good are these guys actually? Like, let's go back. Let's watch them. Let's find, let's watch documentaries about them. Let's watch games about them. Let's see what their accolades are. And then this started developing. Like, I think my first iteration was about five years ago. The final one I have now was about two years ago. And it basically tries to capture it tries to capture what is measurable ultimately. So what it captures about an individual would be, you know, counting stats, it captures um, advanced stats, it captures accolades. So individual awards, um, kind of thresholds that we put on players, things like things like triple doubles, like these arbitrary thresholds we put on 50 point games or that kind of stuff and winning it and not just winning championships but making finals making conference finals what was what were you in the team that made a conference final were you the driving force of that team well that is made that being the driving force of a team that gets to the conference finals is probably more valuable than just you know the eighth man on a championship roster so let's uh, let's you know let's calculate that how does that work so it kind of it built out of that and it's still getting tweaked slightly to this day i did a little tweak this off season that added about 10 percent more information to it but yeah that's it's kind of it's continuing to evolve and as you i'm sure will agree 
These are never, never perfect. These are more ballpark estimations. There are some of these guys on my top 500 that I think the ranking nails because, like you say, it's a bit more objective. Then it's not my rankings. I choose the values of um, these accolades and then let the system dictate what the players end up with. Some I really agree with. Some I really disagree with. The same as you probably. And it's always a working progress. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. One of the things I really want to try to capture with my list, um, I take players' stats at a top year, a five-year, and then a career-length interval. And I really, I keep debating, do I want to add in a 10-year or like kind of just measuring stick? Um, because I really, how do you compare a Bill Walton, who is obviously the driving force of that 77 championship, versus like uh, a... Robert Parrish, whom is the third guy it, and is like a really solid third guy. But like it's it's Larry Bird, it's Kevin McHale. And there's a good chance you could put DJ about ahead of him. Like, you know, he wasn't always the best guy, but he had this 20 years of incredibly goodness. Like he was a good, very good player for 20 years. And Bill Walton was an elite for a single season, a season and a half. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. It's interesting you chose those two guys because I don't know if you knew, but I have Bill Walton fifty eighth, and I have Robert Parrish fifty sixth. So my top five hundred finds it very hard to decide who's better between them as well, and the gap between them is almost nothing. Yeah, it's it's difficult because, like, say someone like Bill Walton, you have about an eighteen month window of him as you know, top two, top three player in the world, depending how you consider him, um, Kareem, Dr. J, those guys. And then you've got Robert Parrish, who, you know, for most of his career isn't a top 20 player in the league, but you have a really good center for, you know, like he's really good for 10 years, for 15 years. He adds a lot of value. What is more valuable? Having, you know, maybe the best player in the league for 18 months or having you know, a guy who's near a, around an all-star for a decade, which it's a, it's a kind of impossible to answer that, really. Well, it, it is, and it's, it's the same question with, would you rather have Toronto going all in and bringing home that one championship, mm-hmm. or would you rather have, I'm trying to think of, like, a Spursy team without a championship, like maybe the Portland Trailblazers, who have just yeah. have this incredibly long playoff streak, mm-hmm. 50 wins most years when they're they're healthy, but never really in the hunt and it just yeah. oh, it's the uh, the most first round exits in nba history belong to the portland trailblazers but they make the playoffs nearly near enough every year is that better than yeah like a team like toronto that goes 20 years with like three playoff appearances and then wins a championship well one has a championship how do is that how we judge it i, I don't i don't know the answer to that honestly i live in michigan and so uh if we could get into the first couple of people that I wanted to talk about off your list, just for the listeners' sake, what I did is I bumped up our two lists. We had 61 of the same guys that made the top 75. So we're going to kind of set those guys aside for a little bit. And we're just going to kind of like look at a few of the guys on each other's lists and kind of go like my turn, Jacob's turn. I guess it's guess we should probably let you go first, but uh, I, I've already started this segue here. I'm a very professional host, as you can tell. <laughs> the first couple of guys I really wanted to get into on your list are those 
Pistons guys, you have Chauncey and Ben Wallace. And, you know, it, is it worth it to have that one championship? And then the Pistons have been kind of in, in turmoil ever since. Um, I guess they had a, a run of conference finals in there that we shouldn't overlook. But, yeah, can you, can you talk to me a little bit about why um, Chauncey and Ben are so high? Uh, because neither of them made my list. I know. Ben was, when I um, you sent over information, Ben was the first thing that stood out to me because I for my list has him in the top 50 just at 49th and you didn't even have him in the top 150 which I thought was insane like genuinely just incredible I think so what my list is capturing there like you say it's not just that they make um finals they win a ring they go back to the next finals and reach a game seven against the Spurs it's that this team is one of the I believe they're one of four teams in NBA history, I could be wrong there, that make six conference finals in a row. I believe it's them, Showtime, uh, the Russell Spurs, and I believe it might be the Bob Pettit Hawks, but I could be wrong there. But there is there are, you know, four teams that have done this. This team is like I, I phrased the question before, is are the Detroit Pistons of this era a dynasty? I think it comes down to how you define a dynasty. They've certainly had a longer spell of greatness than most teams can come up with. And that's what my list is trying to cat is capturing. Mostly it's that, like I said before, Big, Big Ben and Chauncey are kind of the driving factors of this team. And this team is constantly reaching the conference finals, the finals. Big Ben is, you know, reaching the conference finals and the finals as a defensive player of the year, as an all NBA player as an all-defensive player. Um, you know, Chauncey is doing this as one of the best point guards in the league. He's making all-NBA teams. He's making all-star teams. He's obviously winning finals, MVPs. So it's kind of, it's capturing this extended run of greatness uh, for the team, like a, a lot of team success, even though they're only winning one championship. But also these guys according to the stats, according to the accolades, these guys are the ones driving that success. So it's kind of, it's trying to capture them. And yeah, I do, I think they're actually like the 50th and the, you know, the 55th best player of all time. I would probably lean a bit lower on both of them, but I do think they both have arguments in the top 75. Yeah, one thing my list does a terrible job of is properly valuing really good defensive players. <laughs> one thing that was very important to me in building my list was that everyone be judged against the same criteria which yep. is really limiting because i would love to use uh like vorp or box plus minus and i just i can't bring myself to do it because then i can't use it uh evenly distributed against the board and i can't award defensive um first teams defensive second teams because they, they don't have this long track history i mean mvp doesn't go all the way back um but it goes what is it, 55 it was started? Yes, 56 and, maybe. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I also don't have a finals MVP in there. Um, for my awards recognition, I, I love Chauncey and Ben, and they are probably higher on mine than, like, my actual personal list than how my Matrix bumped them out. But I actually love them not making this list, and I would hate to see either of them be named. As a fan of the... Well, I actually should come clean... I'm originally from Los Angeles, and I had moved to Michigan in 2003. <laughs> so uh, this was a this was a dark time. <laughs> but I, I I'm an undersized center when I played pickup ball. I'm five foot nine, but I played center all all my life. 
And so I, I'm an undersized center without a jump shot. So Ben is just such a special place in my heart. <laughs> but I, I don't want either of them to make this because I love the fact that they are the, the David versus Goliath, the little guy that like knocked off a team. And if we could rename them Chamilton Toa Wallace and like form that whole five together into one person, give them a spot, I'll take it. But I, I just, it goes against the ethos of, of what they were to me. And so like, I, I'm pretty happy not having them on the list, but I understand kind of why you got them on there. Oh, I, I, I understand that ethos. Cause like you say, the one thing that really stood out to me going back through history is damn that, that Oh four Pistons team, like every one of those starters was a legitimately really strong player. Like down to take Sean Prince, really strong defensive wing. And it's interesting you bring up the um, saying your list doesn't capture defenders because that was lit. That was the first thing I thought when I looked down the guys that were in my top 75 that weren't on yours. I was like, okay, you got Big Ben. You got, um, you know, a few, a few more names that we'll probably get to where I'm like, these guys are like some of the best defenders of all time and they're not making the list. And I did wonder that. It makes sense. Now you say that you're trying to, you're only using things that are even across NBA history. I actually, my rationale for using it is that it allows me to curve for the more modern game, for the depth of the modern game, where you have, you know, a third all NBA team, you have all defensive teams, files, MVPs, um, advanced stats, more advanced stats. It allows for the guys who are really good, because we can um, agree probably the 50th best player in 2020 is a lot better than the 50th best player in 1960. And this, and this allows us, I think this kind of natural curving of what we're capturing, at least in my mind, like how I um, argued it to myself to make myself allow it. It kind of, that allows us to kind of naturally curve for the modern game by allowing these kind of defensive metrics in allowing you know like you say finals mvps which is crazy you don't have finals mvps i had no idea uh that that's that's wild to me that you literally you, you're there with like you know i don't even know what they what they had like i don't think they weren't even registering like assists back in like 1951 i don't think <laughs> like you know so fun story i did like a whole deep dive in the nba history during the uh the lockdown because i was like i can't do um, I can't watch, I can't watch basketball. I can't blog about basketball. What am I going to do? Uh, and so on, on a website, I have like the first four seasons of NBA history written out in a team, team look, look back. Uh, and assists actually were the first, um, were in the first season because of one player. And I'm trying to, trying to remember who it was off the top of my head, but there was one player who was so popular at passing the ball that they're like, we have to create a, a, a stat just for this guy. And they were like the first league um, to, to do assists because they thought it was just so cool that he like could pass the ball in nifty ways. <laughs> wow. Now, now assists back then you had to catch it and shoot it. If you dribbled, if you like didn't immediately go into the motion, it, it didn't count. So it was very hard to register them, but uh, yeah. They didn't start yeah. doing rebounds till the 50s. So, um, you know, I I still use third teams. I'll still use um, I still use rebounds, even though it hurts Joe Folks um, and some of the other mm-hmm. legends. But 
For my thoughts with defense, okay, Ben is the best defensive player of that era, mm-hmm. but he's like the 10th best big man of that era. Um, you know, you've got like Shaq, Duncan, Garnett, Dirk, easy guys, guys that should be on everyone's lists. Um, but if I'm looking back at it, like uh, Chris Webber is a guy on my list um, who, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was the driving force of his team. Um, and in my mind, Chris Webber is a better player. And we can kind of see that in the All-NBA selections and All-Star selections. And in my mind, I, I tried to use this in a, in a debate on the overstated. You know, are we going to say that Rudy Gobert is a better player than Joel Embiid? because Gobert won Defensive Player of the Year, or do we look at it and say, ah, we have this clear rankings, Embiid was better, um, it was named All-Defensive Second Team, or All-NBA uh, Second Team, and Gobert was, was third, and so we can, we can kind of see, you know, we, ha- we have our rankings, we don't need to toss the defense on there. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I understand what you're getting out there. I, I agree that Big Ben is probably the best defender. Like, I don't, I don't want to shortchange um, Tim Duncan or Kevin Garnett, but it's certainly certainly Big Ben is right there, maybe the greatest defender of the 2000s. I think the problem is, what you're kind of alluding to, is that Big Ben is ultimately a negative on offense, whereas Duncan and Garnett were both kind of hubs of really strong teams. I mean, Garnett, maybe, you know, the team wasn't strong enough, but someone like Duncan obviously provably the offensive hub of championship teams, Shaq is obviously the unstoppable force. There are these other guys, like you mentioned, Gobert and Embiid, you know, defensively they're quite similar, I think, in terms of value, maybe a slight edge to Gobert. But Embiid is an offensive hub for his team. He is one of the great kind of weapons. His scoring right now is Chamberlain-esque, almost, how he's doing it with the range as well, and Gobert will never have that. So it's kind of... Yeah, we can talk, although I think though it doesn't totally change the fact that someone like Big Ben to me is still putting up all NBA value just through his defense, even though the offense is maybe taking some of that away. That's kind of how I look at it in my head. It's like, you know, um, Big Ben is, you know, say per game adding three points to the team on defense and maybe he's taken a point away on offense, whereas someone like Shaq is maybe only adding like one point on defense but he's adding like five points on offense so he's ending up like plus six and ben wallace is down like plus two type thing that's kind of that's how i try to kind of picture it in my head but yeah i i agree that big ben is probably the odd man out in that kind of a really strong era of big men and if you don't have him on the top 75 i don't disagree with it like i don't he's definitely a borderline case for me he's not not set in stone at all I mean, as a as a Simmons believer, still um, kind of a dark corner <laughs> of the internet to be in right now. But I understand, like, hey, being one of the best defensive players and being a complete offensive negative, it just yeah. I don't want to get too much in the modern guys, but who is someone off of my list that you looked at and saw and were like, oh, that's interesting, or you know, H- hadn't thought about yeah. that guy. Um, let me have a look. So someone. I wanted to talk about that I probably agree with you on that I would like if we at the end we say right what's the top 75 at 75 this is a guy that's on your list that I would say yes to is Chris Weber so you just named who for me ends up 105th and for you ends up 69th nice I don't what what is it about him that gets you gets him into the top 75 for you 
So for me, there was a legitimate time where I, as a Lakers fan, feared Weber on the same level that I feared Tim Duncan or I feared Kevin Garnett. And I, I think at the peak of their powers, or maybe not the peak, um, but in that 2000, 2004 range, it, there was a legitimate debate. And I, you know, I can pull up uh, Weber's accolades and that might be good just to, to list them off because all of these guys have just such impressive numbers and, and awards. But Weber, five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA. And, you know, we, we both put some value into championship rings. I don't think anybody would disagree with saying Weber should have a ring. You know, like like of players who came so close, like, I mean, I got to witness the Derek Fisher 0.4 second shot, and that is as close as a team has ever come on a basketball court, in my mind, to, to winning or losing a championship. Mm-hmm. Weber had his taken from him in a way that is really shitty. I mean, just just frankly put, like, I mean, um, and, and if Weber wins a ring and carries the Kings to a title and, you know, they never like they don't break up. I, I, I hate the what if game because, you know, what happens happens. But Weber legitimately was an amazing player and his passing from the power forward position. Um, you know, he he was truly something special I and mean, he really was. Uh, a threat at scoring, rebounding, passing. He could kind of do it all. Maybe he wasn't, you know, a superstar defender, but I mean, he's got a rebounding championship, so it, he does a lot. Oh, yeah. Like, going back myself, because obviously I have him outside the top hundreds on mine that I don't totally agree with, but then going back and actually watching it, I, I agree. Like, below Duncan and Garnett at their peak, like, Weber, he's one of the guys I think that, breaks open the mold of kind of what we're trying to capture here which is like you know accolades and stats and all those things because like him making the second team all nba in the power forward spot that in a lot of cases is actually he's playing at a higher level than a lot of guys that made the first team just because he has to beat out one of tim duncan kevin garnett or dirk or you know carl malone to get that second team spot and so he is maybe outside of, I think there's maybe outside of like the center logjam of like Ewing, Robinson, Shaq and Hakeem. Weber is one of the guys who's most stiffed by the whole, you know, there's only a certain amount of spots and we're going to try to make this basically positional in terms of these accolades. Like, because he is, like you say, he should have been much, much more than a five-time All-NBA player. And in other eras, he would have been the best power forwards in the world for multiple years. And he probably never really got close to that. Like maybe got close-ish, but he was never on the same level as the guys that we just named. Also, it's a very fine case to have against Weber, which is, you, know, you could say that he, he should have had more first teams in a normal year. But Weber had a kind of short like peak. Um mm-hmm. You know, he had his injury in 2003, 2004, and was kind of on the downhill ever. Like, yep. you know, Duncan has 20 years. Garnett has 20 years. Dirk has 20 years. And Weber Weber faded kind of early. Now, mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you brought up the positional logjam because both of us look at uh, all NBA teams in our rankings. And the four that you mentioned, Ewing, Shaq, Hakeem, Elijah one. Uh, sorry, Robinson uh, was the fourth. I double listed Hakeem there. 
but you know <laughs> you only got three center spots for the 90s and those four guys are going for it so you know one guy that was on your list that didn't make mine um who uh, i actually i might and this is kind of this might be blasphemous to say but i kind of prefer to kembe to um to ben like Mm. He got completely screwed because there was there was no room for him to make it. And Alonzo Mourning, uh, who who did make my list, did he make yours as well? I want to say he did not. He did not make mine. I don't believe. I believe he was closer to one hundred. But I don't hate Alonzo making it for like you like the point you're getting at with him and Dikembe. Yes, that Alonzo Mourning. A lot of years, like how much worse was Alonzo Mourning than the Dwight Howard that made like four first teams in a row? I don't know. Like to me, his seasons in like the late nineties are more impressive than a lot of Dwight's seasons that made first team All NBA. And that's probably my biggest issue with how my rankings capture these things. That, like, like you're saying, like we're not capturing this. This is incredible seasons that happen to be flanked by, you know. All-time all seasons from these amazing MVP generational centers. It's it's unfair ultimately. Um, I use I used Dikembe in one of my favorite debates of Reggie versus Ray Allen because I, I always see so many people say, "Well, Reggie made the finals as a lead guy and Ray didn't," and it just eats me up um, because <laughs> in two thousand the the Pacers beat the 76ers. Uh, in the Eastern Finals, and it was a close series. In 2001, the Bucks lose to the 76ers with MVP Allen Iverson, mm-hmm. but there was also a major difference. The 76ers got to Kempe in between those years, and I'm like, you know, if if, if the 76ers have to Kempe one season earlier, probably the Pacers don't make it. There's, you know, that that argument of who made the finals is is out the window for the Ray Reggie debate. Um, and we have a lot more Dikembe love because he's probably a back-to-back uh, a finals big man. Like I just mm-hmm. finger whack. It's just I'm too I'm too <laughs> white to pull it off on a basketball court, but I love it. <laughs> no, and he is one of the guys that's maybe the most forgotten from that era. Like from that era, because like you say, he is what Rudy Gobert is now. I think it's very comparable in terms of value. What Dikembe was. Um, for those years, but obviously Dikembe did it for, you know, maybe 10 plus years where Gobert is at, you know, half a decade. So it's, you know, it different kind of levels to this game. But yeah, Dikembe is one I don't hate him. And yeah, he is, he did make my 75 just. And I probably, I, I agree with you. I think him and Big Ben is a real toss up. Like if you wanted to say, I don't think you could ever get both of them on. And I certainly don't think they're both going to get voted on to this top 75 by the actual people who are going to make these decisions. But I don't know who I'd rather have on that top 75 out of the two of them. It's a very close thing for me. Yeah, I just... Ultimately, neither of them made my list. Um, but I <laughs> I love Dikembe. And, you know, Ben was the greatest center as the NBA is transitioning away from centers. Dikembe mm-hmm. is arguably the greatest set defensive center when he has to go up against, you know, a top 100 level center every other yeah. night, basically. So I just, I'm happy to yeah. see him on your list. He deserves a lot of love. No, yeah, yeah. He doesn't, like you say, getting so far as what, what could have been with him and Iverson. If, I mean, I don't think they're ever, they were never challenging for a title, honestly. No, no, none of those Eastern Conference teams until 
um, the 04 Pistons. Ironically, none of those Eastern Conference teams post-Jordan were really challenging those Spurs and Lakers teams. So I don't think any titles were on the cards or any titles were on left off by them. But yeah, it's, it's one of those moments in history where, you know, how different these players could look in public perception. We just, you know, traded a year earlier later. Yeah. All right, well, who's another guy off of either your or my list that you want to bring up here? Um, Someone that was on mine and ranked quite highly and ranked very low, lowly on yours and someone who I think will absolutely make it for very obvious reasons when I say his name is Dennis Rodman. Uh, to me, he is a fascinating case because Rodman, he toes the line of how impactful can a player actually be without scoring the basketball but generally speaking the very best players ever even guys like bill russell could walk into 15 points on a given night you know these you know the guys like magic johnson could walk into 22 points on a given night but someone like dennis rodman who is you know that i've seen statistical cases made that he's actually the most impactful player ever and they're pretty well made. Like, I don't agree with them, but they're pretty well made. And you have him 170 seconds. So what's going on there? So it's it's a strong case against him from a statistical standpoint because he, he provides very little offensively. Um, I My list is generally tends to point more towards a top player on a less successful team than a third or fourth guy on a more successful team. Um, mm-hmm. One guy that didn't make either of our lists, James Worthy, it's kind of there was always a lot of debate worthy versus uh, Dominique Wilkins, and I've always sided on the Dominique side of that. Of Neek didn't have the teammates, but Neek, as an individual, carried his team really strong. And um, did you ever read Bill Simmons' book? Yeah, no, I've never read the the book of basketball. No. So he starts off with this beautiful story about how uh, he discovered the secret of basketball from hanging out in Vegas with Isaiah Thomas. Uh, and Isaiah Thomas tells him it's not about basketball. It's about uh, self-sacrifice and not doing as much to help the other guys on your team do more uh, and playing within this beautiful flow. Basically, the exact opposite of everything um, Russell Westbrook is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and with that said... I still say, all right, if you are not able to to elevate your team and you need the sacrifice and you need someone else to to elevate your team, because um, Bill then ends the book with talking about how Kobe won despite ignoring the secrets of basketball and still being Kobe. I'm like, ah, yeah, that's because Kobe's really, really good and Jordan's really, really good. And I, I tend to lean more towards the guys that were individual um, really good. And like Dennis gets a ton of love for being uh, an elite defensive player and an elite rebounder. And I uh, like what I said about Ben Wallace kind of applies here of, I have a special place in my heart because that is, that is me to a T. Um, But I also, I I recognize the limits of defense. I I remember uh, being in high school and we were getting smoked by a guy that was in the the G league the next year. Um, My coach like, all right, we're going to go boxing one. Nate, get in there, defend him. You're our best defender. And, Uh, I, he pulled up from half court and hit a three in my face and I was completely useless. Um, <laughs> but I, I recognize I was the best defensive player on that team and I was not one of our five or six best players on that team. And Dennis Rodman is 
arguably maybe the greatest defender of all time. Um, I, I might take Scottie Pippen. I love the Hakeem debate. You know, we can have Ben. We can. Well, there's a lot of other players we can talk about. But Dennis, Dennis is a superstar role player in my mind. Um, and when you look at what he did for those Bulls playoff teams, uh, he wasn't a starter for all the games. Uh, that their final run, the 97-98, he started less than half the games. Uh, he, you know, was a spot starter for the year before, like primary. But depending on matchups, you pull him off the court. Uh, the Pistons' first championship ring, he is a bench player. And so when you say five rings, it, it kind of implies, yeah, he was a, a major driving force for those five rings. And it's like, no, no, Derek Fisher has five rings. You know, he doesn't have the accolade of being the greatest defensive player, but Fisher was really key to the Lakers. Um, Robert Ory, seven rings. Robert Ory, Lakers don't win three. Houston probably still gets two without him. Uh, he's pulled San Antonio's ass out of the fire or in my first ever sports bet, hitting that three against the Pistons. Um, it, you know, I, I just, in general, I would rather have the most elite player um, and, and not the most elite specialist. So it's a very, it's an interesting debate because there's a, there's been a lot of talk. I've read quite a lot around this debate and we were talking about it before we even started recording. My issue is that with someone like Rodman or even like you brought up like someone like Robert Horry like he is anomalous in NBA history and I certainly think he's one of these outliers like out of thousands of players like imagine you know we roll a dice like a multi-sided dice thousands of times and thousands of times and there's and it's it has like you know hundreds of sides this dice and one of them is Robert Horry's career it's going to happen at some point that someone, oh, he, you know, was drafted to a team with Hakeem Olajuwon that went on these two championship runs. Then he went to the Lakers when they had Shaq. And then he went to the Spurs when they had Tim Duncan. And of course, he ends up with all these rings. That's bound to happen. But I do think there are some of these guys through NBA history, like a Rodman, like a Horry. Although I think Rodman is in a different class to Robert Horry as a player or yeah. a Draymond Green as a player where we because they are atypical what we expect we don't value them the same way we would you know someone like you say like worthy and wilkins would like yes dominique wilkins can carry a team from you know 25 wins to 45 wins Worthy probably can't do that but you're not winning a championship doing that whereas if a word like you put Worthy and in the third option on the Showtime Lakers, they're dynastic. They're winning 65 games every year. They're winning multiple championships. They're they're going back to back. Does Wilkins work as the third option in that team? I think he probably could, and they would still win. So I would probably lean Wilkins in that debate. But it's you know it's the like we were saying before the pod, like people have skills that suit specific roles on teams. Someone like Clay Thompson is better suited to being the third best player on a championship team than someone like Russell Westbrook is. So like, you know, what does Russ give you as the third best player? Because if he's the third best player, he's not handling the ball as much. He needs to, you know, catch and shoot a lot more. He needs to defend a lot more and he can't really do those things. He needs to be a movement shooter. He's not that. There needs to be some give and take here. And I think to the Kobe point, interesting thing is though as much as kobe maybe didn't sacrifice 
to win those championships, I would argue the team was built around players that kind of sacrificed their games almost for Kobe. Power is mm-hmm. super well built as the second option on that team. You know, guys like Lamar Odom, Derek Fisher, like all these guys, these are role players. And you need that that jewel in the crown. You always need that jewel in the crown to be a championship team. But there are guys like Rodman, like Draymond, who facilitate where like I would rather have a team where what I was missing was that Kobe rather than have a team where I had a Kobe and I had nothing else. I would rather, you know, I had Derek Fisher, you know, that entire roster. That I would rather have the entire roster of that Lakers team without a Kobe rather than having a Kobe on that 2006 team because then I need to go out like that Toronto team in 2019. I go out and get a Kawhi. I fit him into my team and suddenly I am a juggernaut. My team has force multiplied to win a championship. I would rather build everything else out first and then go for the number one option rather than have the number one option and then try to figure out the rest of it. That's just, that's my preference for that. But yeah, I think Rodman, it's back to the original Rodman for me, definitely makes it. Just I, I just can't get there. Like... Ah, he's he's an ultimate. Uh, what does it say? They've got guys that raise floor and guys that raise ceilings. Mm-hmm. And um, just to talk a little bit about the aspects of of basketball in the '90s, you needed that bruising power for that got rebounds. You know, uh, Antonio Daniels made an All Star team. Dale Davis made an All Star team. Um, these like kind of bruising, uh, rebounding power forward. AC Green. Um, mm-hmm. Rodman just. It, it, He's got two all-star appearances. He was not a top player of his era, so I, I really struggled to get past it for him. Mm-hmm. But uh, all that said, I, I don't want to crap on any of these guys. I just I would offer up instead a guy who made it on my list and didn't make it on yours, which is Pau Gasol, who, yeah. who raised his team's floor. You know, the Grizzlies, it was kind of like their annual thing of getting swept in the playoffs by the Spurs. Uh, and then he goes, and he is very clearly the Lakers' second fiddle, although there is some metrics like win shares that would point to him being more valuable than Kobe on those teams uh, for for basically three straight finals. I, I know Pau is like right on the bubble. Um, just some of the numbers you've said makes me think I might have an old version of your list, but I, the version I'm looking at has him at 80. Maybe he dropped another couple spots on yours. How would you feel if they named Pau? Would, that be, would you have a, a case against it or...? No, I would um, I'd be okay with Pal making it. Like say, like we were saying, like like you say, I you have I have eightieth, I believe, on mine. That is that's so close to seventy fifth that it's like if he made it, I'd be like, yeah, like that's 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 not a big issue for me. I do think I think Pal is pretty underrated historically. I think he is of that era. I mean, that era still had later. Dirk, maybe even like some Dirk prime years when you look at his playoff performances in the turn of the 2010s were like his best, best performances, I think. And then obviously Garnett's injury, Duncan moves out of his prime towards the end of the 2000s, obviously reinvents himself as slightly more of a role player kind of thing while still being, you know, Tim Duncan. So still like an all NBA role player almost. Powell very much... If not for a year, he is in the conversation as the best power forwards in the game. And I think he is super underrated because like I was saying he he facilitates. He he has a bit of range to him. He is a really strong playmaker 
out of the post. He crashes the glass really well. He is a pretty pretty good defender for his position. Like relatively speaking, he's he's all right. Like he does everything really well as a second option. So I and this is something as well that I I am very fascinated to see how the seventy five at seventy five list actually deals with championship second options like Pau Gasol, like Manu Ginobili or Tony Parker or James Worthy. These guys were in were never, you know, a Dominique Wilkins or a Carmelo Anthony on their own teams. But they ended up with a lot more silverware than those guys without maybe some of the accolades. And it leads back to what you're saying about the Isaiah Thomas isn't that that is kind of what basketball is all about. And I, I'd never heard that story before, but I really, really agree with it. That that is the essence of that is how you win basketball games is ultimately is sacrificing and players who are more able to sacrifice are more able to win. And Powell is a real embodiment of that, especially at the power forward position. He's one of the great second option power forwards, I think. I ask, where do you have Horace Grant on your rankings? I know I have them somewhere, but by chance oh let me uh let me try to find that for you now horace grant because he is he's another one where um you know, i was like a third option i think he's really given a short end of the stick i have him 98th for me oh really because yeah yeah i, I wouldn't i certainly don't think he's a top 75 player but i do think he's given he's shortchanged a lot like in those first runs like he was the third option on one of the great teams in NBA history oh, yeah. in that first title run. And rightly so. Like I look at, I did a whole Jordan versus um, LeBron um, podcast, kind of looking, looking specifically at like context factors, like teammates and coaching specifically Horace Grant. Like he really stood out as someone really underrated historically in these debates, because he is as good as most seasons, like especially things like his 92 season is like as good as m- most of the teammates LeBron's ever had. He is monstrously good at power forward, even though he's averaging like 14 points. It's like 14 points, nine rebounds, four assists, really good defense, like and like really efficient scoring. He is, yeah, I certainly not a top 75 player, but he is really historically underrated, I think. I just, I bring him up because... I, I really enjoyed Horace Grant as a player um, and, and like what he meant to the the 94, 95 magic as well as is criminally underrated. Mm-hmm. Whenever people bring up Dennis Rodman, I'm like, the, the difference between Rodman and Grant is not not huge. And yeah, I always feel like he gets forgotten in NBA discord. So if we're going to give going to give some love to Rodman, I want to give some love to Horace Grant as well. Just mm-hmm. Why can't we have a top 750 made by the NBA? And really, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. not that I want to give everyone like praise and uh, participation trophies, but there's just been so many great players. And as someone who I want to write a book on the the history of the NBA, that's like my secret passion and dream. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I, I want to celebrate so many guys. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I, I found that. I don't, I'm sure you found it while doing your own kind of matrix. Like there were guys, as I was doing it, that I was like, this is a fascinating story. Like Max Oslovsky was one from uh, those first few years of the NBA. His story Stag. is- Yeah, the, yeah, Slats. He, he, cause his story is just really fascinating to me as this guy who was like this prodi- the prodigious 
gunning shooting guard who went to four NBA finals and lost all of them. He's like the first option for like a couple of them. Then he's the second option. Then by the end, he's like a role player and he just cannot get over the hump of winning a championship. And he ends up getting kind of forgotten to history when at the time, like I say, like he is the youngest guy to um, be a scoring champion at the time. Until I think Kevin Durant, he was the youngest guy to be a scoring champion. He was the youngest guy to make first team all NBA until LeBron, I believe. So like he is this incredible talent especially coming through and within about 10 years of his career being over he's completely forgotten and he has this really interesting career arc and there are so many players like that like you say there are just so many like so many of those guys on those Mike in um, Lakers teams are just fascinating to me like Jim Pollard is like a quite ahead of his time small forwards and like these guys are just forgotten to history and I find it really sad and I would like something like that. Like, I think ultimately something this top 75 has to do, it has to curate history to some extent, which is where I think maybe one of the next guys we'll talk about um, comes from. But this idea that, you know, we need to in some way capture all of NBA history and the top 75 needs to in some way be, you know, a time capsule for everything that's come before it. And yeah. I feel like, like you know, it's, it's hard to do that with 75 because... You know, there's there's only 75 players. But I do think there has to be some representation where, like, no, maybe this guy, you know, whoever it is, like, um, I'm trying to think of a player. Well, Joe Fox. No, he's not one of the greatest players ever, but he's also a really important footnote in basketball history. And we kind of, just to respect all of basketball history, we need to include him. I uh, So when I was doing my deep dive into the NBA history, uh, what's crazy is how much Nick's heartbreak goes back, like being so close and <laughs> yet so far. And it's literally in the beginning, Philadelphia mm-hmm. travels to the middle of nowhere and signs Joe Folks, who is, becomes the first 20 points per game scorer, is is like the first leading scorer in the NBA. And the Knicks were just unable to find him because he was like in the middle of nowhere, basically. Uh, I forget <laughs> if it was Kentucky or Virginia or somewhere. They like had scouts trying to like get a hold of him and just literally could not find him. Yeah. But that that's NBA history. Uh, he he was a guy that my list does a serious disservice to because of uh, you know some of the the older things that just weren't available for him. Um, mm-hmm. So he's he's nowhere near mine. And you know there's no way he could play in a modern game. But I always tend to think of guys that that were older guys that played at a super high level, if you were able to take their mindset and just just put it in, like, I, I hate the debate of, oh, Kareem, or like, oh, JaVale McGee could smoke Wilt Chamberlain. But maybe if you just, just put them against each other. But if you took Wilt's mindset and he grew up today, I still think Wilt would be a top 10 player just because of who he was and that personality and that, you know, yeah. Given the modern coaching, modern training, all of that, he would be on the forefront of it again. Normally, the guys that are at that top end of this list are, are at the forefront of it. Yeah, it's it's a really unfair debate because not only are we saying they have 50, you know, someone like JaVale Wilt, JaVale has 50 plus years of um, nutrition, training, medical and in- medical improvements to fall back on against someone like Wilt. He also has 50 years of players like Wilt coming along and inventing, you know, these different hook shots on the post, you know, the Mike in drills, you know, Kareem's moves in the post, like Hakeem's moves in the post. He has these, you know, he's standing on the shoulders of giants. And 
by the time he's 22 years old, he can master moves that guys like Wilt didn't, they didn't even exist when Wilt was playing. So it's kind of, it's an unfair comparison. Like I always think about that when someone says about, you know, yeah, but you know, Bob Cousy hits you with that right, 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 right move. It's like, yeah, he can't fucking, he dribbles one handed, but also the, um, the ball handling laws at the time were super strict like mm-hmm. you could not move your hand around the basketball it had to stay on top of it and and yeah and like he only developed one hand but you also think like you see the passing and you see kind of how he like draws a defender in and he uses like this kind of slow dribble move to draw a defender and then kind of flicks the pass to like Bill Russell who's trailing him and you think this stuff didn't exist when he was doing it he was coming up with this stuff as it's going you imagine someone with that kind of brain being born today and by the time they're 12 years old they've seen Kyrie for years they've seen you know Iverson's crossover they've seen all these moves and they're building off that because that's ultimately what's happening these guys are coming up they're seeing this stuff and then they're building off it which is why we have guys like Kyrie like of course Kyrie Irving is the greatest ball handler who's ever lived he's seen you know he was able to watch Isaiah Thomas highlights on YouTube when he was like fucking like you know 18 years old he was able to watch all this stuff and he was able to learn from people who had learnt it. It's it's an unfair comparison. And that's something, yeah, like I say, we need to curate history to some extent to recognise these guys that know they're not the greatest players ever, but they serve an integral role in how basketball changed and evolved. I, did, I don't know if we go, you go as far as to say, I mean, is it Kenny Sailors who had the jump shot? Yeah. Like he invented the jump shot, like... That's the type of thing where we get into this awkward territory of like, he is one of the most integral people in in basketball history. Is he one of the 75 greatest players? No, he's not one of the 70, 750 greatest players ever, but he's super important to basketball. The same with someone like Dolph Shays. I think Dolph Shays fits more in to what we're saying in terms of like curating history that Dolph Shays is not only really good for a really long time, but he is not, you know, he's he's a bit of a history lesson for a lot of people, and I think I think he's the, he's someone who's gonna make the list, and people are gonna be like, oh, what the fuck, this guy yeah. who got like sixteen thousand points in his career is making the top seventy-five. He's not even close to that, and it's like it's not it's not it's not all about that. It's not it's not what it's all about. One of the guys that's on my list that's not on yours, and I don't think he'll ultimately make it. Although I would really love to see him make it, uh, Jerry Lucas. And Jay Lucas, one of the things that people love to point out at him is he averaged 20 and 20 for two seasons, like 20 points, 20 rebounds, which is just just crazy um, to think about. But I'm sure as an NBA historian, you kind of know those 60s, tons of rebounds. Just what was it? Almost double the rebounding rate that we're at right now. Yeah, a, a good rule of thumb. Generally speaking, a good rule of thumb for anyone listening, if you see a rebounding per game and the guy's like a starter, you know, he's playing starting minutes, you can halve those rebounds and you're getting a estimate of what he would do in today's game. And for points, it's like um, you divide it by like one and a half. So like say he's averaging 30 points in 1962, it would be closer to like 20 points today. And same with like with 20 rebounds, more like 10 rebounds today, which is still amazing. But yeah. Well, what's amazing is he's averaging 20 and he's still like the third or fourth guy in the league. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the thing that I love about Jerry Lucas is that he was a, a strong center and like 
Wilt and Kareem talk about his, his like strength defensively. And then they talk about him pulling up from 20 to 25 feet. This guy in the 60s is launching three-pointers before the three-point shot has been invented. And, you know, you kind of, Larry Bird's talked about him a little bit of like, yeah, I saw this guy hey, with this range. And I'm like, this guy, he influenced, he influenced the influencers. Um, mm-hmm. He's not a definitive lock. I would have no arguments with him not getting in. And because my matrix values, uh, his rebounding numbers, um, that's how he bumps into it for me. But I think, I think he's a really good person for NBA fans and historians to know about because of, because of that jump shot. And you put him in the modern game and he could be even more valuable. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I agree. Especially at his size, you know, he was even for the era, like we talk about them being quite, you know, these, these milkmen playing basketball, he was undersized as a center in the era at like six for eight still like or he was like he just certainly didn't stand out as a tall man in basketball even at that point but like you say yeah, i have heard um a barkley like say bird talking about jerry lucas as an influence which is something really interesting to me because you try to pin back pin down larry bird's like the genealogy of larry bird's game and it's 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 like water like you can't pin down like where is this guy learning to do this stuff but you know someone like jerry lucas really sets like this strong defensively like great rebounding stretch big is yeah like you say like it's something i think we only totally get years later when we go back and relitigate nba history and we're like oh this stuff they weren't even looking for at the time was actually super duper valuable his ability to space the floor because even though it's different games now and we know about spacing spacing has always been important and guys who could stretch out like Jerry Lucas, like um, Larry Bird, Elvin Hayes to like an extent, these guys are still providing a lot of value. They just weren't really looking at it back then. And I do think, yeah, I mean, I have him 117th on mine. I very much doubt he's going to get in, but he is an interesting litmus test, certainly for how far, how deep this top 75 wants to go into basketball players in history, I think. Another guy from my list, kind of from that similar era, uh, Billy Cunningham, who was a, a small forward, power forward, but he is an early genus of the the point guard, small forward, you know, kind of what you see LeBron doing nowadays as a as a passer and also as a uh, as a highly skilled athlete. Uh, I love this quote, and I have it in one of my write ups of him. I went and pulled up was. The only way that I could have stopped him tonight was with a gun. And even that's questionable. The way he was going, he probably would have dodged the bullets. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At that at that time, he, yeah, his his imprint. I mean, but certainly once he reached the ABA, he was kind of just unstoppable. And like, as he reached like his real prime around like the 70 to 73, 74 era, Billy Cunningham was absolutely one of the best players in the in basketball in the whole world it was unbelievable and and yeah he's been kind of forgotten to time which is um really sad as well like i i knew him as one of the players on the 67 team before i really looked into him as a player and he is he's an outstanding player like you say he has a lot of the guard skills at his size at like six six i certainly yeah i agree that he's kind of in that line of the guys who are playing in the three, four, five roles who are handling the ball somewhat like a guard player would. 
and you don't those players didn't really exist and again they weren't totally being looked at properly at the time like do I think he's going to make it probably not do I think he could make it yeah like do I think there's a world where Billy Cunningham is one of the 75 greatest players in NBA history yeah I I buy that like my that my ladder has him 100th exactly which is not far enough away from 75 for me to say it's crazy certainly not I I but I don't think he's going to make it honestly Oh man, I really got to get the updated version of your ladder for here because the one I was looking at had him at 117th and now it's making me question my whole, we have 61 agreements, so let's talk about some of the disagreements. <laughs> but I did kind of want to, um, I, I wanted to ask, and you know, we're about an hour or into the recording, who are some of the guys that made your list? Because I know neither of us refer to our list as gospel. We were both pretty flexible in saying this was, this is if anything, like a self-discovery assignment for ourselves to try to learn more about yeah. these players. Who's someone from your list that makes it that you're kind of kind of more on the fence on or maybe even not put on? Someone who is in my top 75 who I don't think is one of the 75 greatest players ever. Um, I'm going to go with, straight away, Sam Jones. Mm. I think Sam Jones very much in my situation gets a bump from like I've talked and I've praised the idea of like championship second options and their value and how underrated they are in history. Sam Jones is kind of, he's that on steroids. <laughs> like, you know, he ends it with like 11, whatever it is, 10, 11 championship rings, like the second most in NBA history when he's not. <laughs> like he's, he didn't win 10 rings by himself, obviously. And he won 10 rings in a juggernaut team. And that really... He really gets boosted up, like him, Tommy Heinsohn, uh, I think um, Tom Sanders. I think it's Tom Sanders, definitely Sanders. I forget his name, but he gets, like, these guys just get kind of dragged up by Bill Russell into my top 75, and I certainly don't think him and Tommy Heinsohn are two of the 75 greatest players ever. Yeah, it's kind of a mixed curse of them not having a ton of turnover. Like, those teams stayed together, so guys that were there for the whole length of it, you know, now you kind of see championship teams have to really keep their core together. Uh, but I just think about, like, the early Lakers championships with the Shaq and Kobe years. You know, one year they had Isaiah Ryder. One year it was, like, Ron Harper. Like, some of the other guys kind of mixed in and out. Um, but uh, just outside the bubble for both of us was Bill Sharman. I think he was 84 for me and, like, 85 for you. Um you know, a lot of those guys to kind of dragged up by the general Celtics malaise. And what they had, I forget that team had, there's like seven um, top 50 guy or top 100 guys. Uh, if you kind of look during the championship runs, they had just so many of them. And like mm -hmm. a lot more of them are closer to that 100 mark. Uh, because you got Koozie, you got uh, Casey, or not Casey Jones, but Russell Sharman, Sam Jones, Tommy Heinsohn. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when you get kind of more towards the end, there's there's a different crop of them, but it's... Well, they're very good, though. Like, the thing is, like, Bill Sharman and Bob Cousy is a hell of a backcourt. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> unbelievable. Bill Sharman is, like, the OG sharp, sharp shooter in basketball. Like, 90% or whatever from the free throw line, just unbelievable shooting. And, yeah, they just... They consistently, they have Tommy Heinsohn, who is not close to being the best power forward in the league, but he's damn good. They have young Hondo, who is, at that time, not really 
one of the best small forwards in the league, but he's damn good. And, you know, they just keep, yeah, like you say, finding these guys who aren't ever on, you know, Bill Russell's level. They never really have this true second star. Although Sam Jones and Hondo, these guys, Bob Cousy, obviously earlier on, he might be better than Bill Russell for like a couple of those championship runs very early on. He might be more of a driving factor on offense, certainly not on defense, which is what they were more known for. But, you know, like, yeah, I think, like you say, a lot of these guys are really getting pulled up when they are not that good. All right. So since you went modern I'm, or since you went old, I'm going to kind of go more modern. And a guy who you pointed out on my list is super high because of mm-hmm. how my matrix feeds into it. Um, I'm not 100% sure that I would have Anthony Davis there yet. Just Ooh. Well, so w- what has Davis done? Davis has been part of a bunch of really mediocre teams, and he has put up incredibly good individual numbers. And this is the opposite argument of the ones that I had made uh, earlier. Um, but I, I think Davis's best years are still yet to come. I have no problem. Like, I, I hate the idea of saying, ah, we have to think towards the future. Who's going to look silly to leave off this list? No, we don't. They haven't done it yet. Like, don't put Luca on this thing because you think Luca will be great. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I'd almost give the nod to Carmelo Anthony, who, no, he didn't um, ever win a championship, but those 09 Nuggets teams with him as the primary driving factor were really good. Uh, I might give the nod more to Amari Stoudemire, who it, he was the second guy. He never won. Maybe not. I, I'd still take Davis over Amari, <laughs> but, you know, just just some of those guys. Grant Hill. I'm kind of just going down my list of guys that you don't have on. Um, Damian Lillard, like guys who who were the driving forces and who have really accomplished not a championship, but a, a high a high level of play. And that's something that we never saw Davis do. And we still haven't really seen him, you know, aside from being next to LeBron. And just see, I, I to me, he was actually someone when um, you sent over the list and you had AD at 36th, I believe it was. Yeah. He was someone that I was like, oh, that's that's really spicy. But you know what? I don't hate that at this point. Like, I really, <laughs> to, for me, like, AD is absolutely in that conversation. I think he is, he's kind of underrated, honestly. Because at this point, I think we forget how long it's been. Because when he was 21 in 2015, he was already an MVP candidate. Like, he was already astonishingly good at 21, like one of the greatest 21-year-olds we've ever seen. And at this point, we're talking seven years later, and he's gotten better since then. And seven years is not an insignificant amount of time. Like, at this point, AD is at close to 600 regular season games played. Like, to me, he is building the resume of a top 30 player in NBA history. And I do think he's probably past that threshold. Like maybe I think him being in the top 50 is a bit spicy, a bit too spicy right now, but top 75. Yeah. I think he's absolutely um, a top 75 player for me right now. Like, Sorry. I was just going to say, I think we almost underrate him at this point. Like I might even, and this is going to maybe be even too spicy me i think he might still rank higher for me all time than Giannis. which see that's why yeah. I, that's why i'm questioning my rankings is because he is two spots above Giannis. um and, and part of the way my matrix is built 
Giannis's early years kind of count against him because he's looking at career averages. So since Giannis mm-hmm. took a while to ramp up and Davis just started uh, at, at a higher level, you know, well, that's, it's... Uh, it, that's it's the not, thing, right? Yeah, he, he comes in straight away and at 21, it's like, oh, I'm a first-team All-NBA player. And then he doesn't really leave that threshold. And it's like, this guy has had like six, seven years of being that good, being like a top five, top 10 player in the league. As good as Giannis is, he's been like a top five player in the league for like three years now. It's just, it's not that long. And like you say, he has these early career points that drag him down kind of in your, for you, he it drags down. For me, it's more like a slow start. Like he's just not adding any value in my mm. kind of tricks for multiple years and now he starts shooting up obviously but he still has he's still for me like almost like a year behind ad like this time next year if he stays where he is he'll be where ad is now if that makes sense like in terms of value he's like a year behind like he's catching up to him but because like you say ad had this he had a quick start he had you know he got off sprinting earlier than Giannis did on this kind of value trajectory and Giannis has to catch up, and it's he's pr- he's probably gonna do it. He's probably almost certainly gonna be better than AD historically. When we look back, I think I think most people would agree with that. I think probably everyone would agree with that. But for me, right now, it's not outrageous to say that AD, if they retired right now, AD had a more valuable career than Giannis for me. Even though we look at accolades, Giannis does rank a lot higher in my matrix. I still think when we just talk about value added. You know, we kind of we move over the fact that, like you say, Giannis has like, you know, he had a lot of years where he wasn't adding a lot of value. So uh, one of my favorite things I've done with my rankings is I started to save them. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I had a I had a Mac die on me and they weren't backed up. So I've lost a few of those uh, savings or, you know, I don't have like the full spreadsheets. I just kind of have it written out in different places. So it's, it's <laughs> a little bit hard to go back and rebuild for everyone. But I've, I've rerun the numbers every year. Uh, so in 2013, Giannis is not ranked. 2015, Giannis is not ranked. 2016, he comes in at uh, 591. 17 jumps up to 771. 18, 134. 1970. Uh, 2020, he got into 40. And now uh, after this past year, 38, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, you probably hope for a better win the championship, but it gets so tight at that top end. Um, yeah, and Davis, yeah, you, absolutely. Davis, like he's been on the list. He was at 103 in 2015. He's just kind of always been there, and we haven't quite seen this dramatic jump up yet. He's just been super good for a really long time, and I, I want to see him. I don't know if I feel he's the top 40 yet, <laughs> but I think all the talent is there, and I just want to see it. Yeah, no, I think I wonder if we're gonna underrate AD just because of how valuable he is. Again, as, as almost like a second option, because he is maybe the greatest vertical spacer in NBA history. He has a pretty good jumper. Like on his day, he's got a pretty good outside shot. Incredible defender across multiple positions. You know, okay handling the ball. Like he has a little bit of pass dribble shoot in him while being this incredible, like screen setting, um, rolling big man. I I wonder if he's going to be someone, and I think we were already seeing it, who's going to get underrated historically because he doesn't fit that mold we imagine the greatest players fit, like a LeBron or a Jordan or a Kobe. He's not that. He is, you know, he's more of a second option, but he's the kind of second option where if you have him and you have a pretty good first option, they just run through 
the league, like we but saw in the bubble. He's the second option that will work with any first option. Yeah, basically any anyone outside of like Joel yeah. Embiid, who you know where they're playing the same position. Any sing any other player in that top ten. I think you've only got like Durant is maybe the only other guy. Steph. Steph is another one. But even Steph next to Dame would be maybe too weak defensively. It's like Durant and AD are the only other guys that really scale like that for me at that top, top end right now. I I can't wait till we get an AD, Joel Embiid type of duo back in the league. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, like we'll never have those two players on the same team, but I, I love Hakeem and mm-hmm. Um, I get in a lot of debates about Hakeem because I, I feel like we overrate his 90s, but we underrate his 80s. And the him and Ralph Sampson pairing it is such a dynamic duo. And I'm just waiting um, because Hakeem was so versatile that he could play the power forward next to him. I think we're back to that era where we could have two great, um, great big men play together again and have an inside-outside game. You know, Robinson no, and... I don't, I don't know, I think you're probably right. Like, yeah, Robinson Duncan. Like, he's certainly now we're seeing these unicorns like a like a Jokic-AD duo. But, um, I mean, that's almost, that's almost, like, perfect as a kind of um, out, inside-outside offensive ability. And obviously AD covering for Jokic's um, defensive shortcomings. Even, like, Carl Anthony Towns and AD would be a really interesting duo because Cat has flashed some more playmaking chops and obviously is an incredible outside shooter. Even Embiid is flashing like really strong outside shooting, even though I think there isn't enough ball handling between them to fit together. There is, there are a lot of big men, you know, Chet Holmgren coming through the ranks who is lauded as this kind of his ability to shoot and his ball handling skills at that size. Yeah, I think we're probably going to see that again one day, but it's going to look a very, very different to the um, the Twin Towers that we've seen in the past. Yeah. So just to kind of close here, I noticed that both of us have been very disrespectful to some of the 50 at 50. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are some guys like uh, Hal Greer, the version of your ladder that I was looking at, and mine, we both mm-hmm. have them at 87. It, oh, wow. That's fine. It's, it's, it's funny that they both end up at 87 because we've got guys all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's... All right, he's not going to make 75 in either of our list. Bill Sharman, 81 and 84, the one I looked at. Um, but we've got guys like Dave DeBusher, who's 124 or in 184. We've got you know Pete, Pistol Pete, Nate Thurman, Lenny Wilkins, um, Earl Monroe. Earl, Earl was done some slander by us, and Dave Bing. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you want to say about any of those guys? Or is there any one of them that you kind of started looking into and were just really disappointed by? Um, I'm trying to think someone I was really disappointed by. Oof. You know, I, one thing I noticed that is a strong New York bias in, um, in some of those guys like the Busher, Elder Pearl Monroe, like these guys were good players, but I mean, the only guys from those Knicks teams and those Knicks teams are really good. Like to me, historically underrated teams, those Knicks championships teams, like really like they, really battered teams and they really deserved those titles the only two guys that deserve the top 75 here are walt fraser and willis reed to me like they, they, it's a good team like al monroe is a strong strong guard uh, and um the busher is probably a bit underrated in my ladder like he is 
seen as like a very, very strong, hard-nosed defender historically. I know, I do know Bill Simmons, I think, is really high on him historically, I believe. Those guys, though, I feel like I'm expecting them to drop out, honestly, I think. In the modern generational era, like guys like Lenny Wilkins, I expect to drop out. Nate Thurmond is a tragedy. I think, I don't think Nate Thurmond gets that close to my top 75, but if it was me, I would absolutely have Nate Thurmond in the top 75. So he was. had another. You had a guy on your list that I always think of in the Nate Thurmond conversation who is the uh, Artist Guild one. Another, Mm. you know, these guys, they played in a really tough era of big men. And so I think. You know, when we look at awards and we look at rankings based on awards and stuff, it's really easy to look over Thurman and and, uh, and Artis Gilmore for being uh, top defensive guys, but not being the top centers. Yeah, Nate Thurman famously never making an All-NBA team, which is just unconscionable almost, because I think he's, he's closer to being one of the 10 greatest centers of all time for me. And he is to being like the 20th greatest center of all time. Like I do think Nate Thurmond, maybe in this whole, what we were saying about like that golden era of, you know, Shaq, Robinson, Hakeem, Ewing, Dikembe, Alonzo, all these guys, and there's only three spots. Nate is almost, to me, he is the ultimate of like the guys who just get screwed by there only being two All-NBA teams in this time. And he plays with Bill Russell, um, Wilt Chamberlain and then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and it's just like no of course you were never getting an all-NBA team against those guys those are maybe the three greatest big men of all time and you're you know the fourth guy in your generation with two teams but I do think Nate Thurman is one of the 75 greatest players ever and I, I think he's probably not going to make the team but I think he's going to be the best player left off if I had to say who is the best player I predict to be left off it would probably be Nate Thurmond yeah, it's it's not even those guys. Like, I'm trying to pull up uh, rosters of who who all played in the '72 season, but it's like a, like I think you make a case that he's not even a top seven center of his era. But the top seven centers were the top seven players. Like uh, it, it just you know it's Willis Reed, it's Kareem, it's Russell, it's Wilt, you know it's Dave Cohen's, it's Bob Mackin, like it's Bill Russ or Bilton, like. Almost everyone that he lost to was an MVP at one point. And it's, mm-hmm. it, I mean, like, name, name a shooting guard from that era. Name, like, everyone played through their centers. It's just, so to be the 10th the best center in the league that year might sound really bad in the modern context of our 10th best center. Gosh, I don't know. I'm trying to uh, think. Yeah. Like Vucevic. Uh, no, Vucevic is, he's an all-star. He's probably one of the five best centers. Like, <laughs> No, but yeah, like who even is the tenth best center today? That's yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's a yeah, and you compare where they would rank in the league compared to where you know Nate would rank. Like you say, like for me, he's absolutely a top ten player at his in the time period he plays in his prime. Absolutely one of the ten greatest players in the league. And like you say, he's not really close to being the greatest big man in the league at the time. And you look at guys like Hal Greer, who I expect. Mm, do I expect he'll get left off? I think he might get left off. We're looking at a seven-time All-NBA player because outside of Jerry West, who obviously had that first team locked up for a decade, he's the greatest small. He's the greatest shooting guard of the era. So it's like, you know, 
you're gonna you're gonna rack up a lot of all NBA teams when you're not playing. You're not one of the ten greatest players in the league. You're not maybe one of the fifteen greatest players in the league. But you know, positional value, positional um, kind of designations mean that you're just you're kind of locked into these accolades, which in your in your matrix, in my matrix, are gonna push these guys up above better players who may, who fall into these kind of odd, awkward spots like a Nate Thurman, like a Dikembe Mutombo almost, where, you know, a Chris Webber, where they just they just don't act they just don't add up to a lot. And then you look back and you say, Oh, this guy only made two all NBA teams. How good was he? And it's like, he was fucking awesome. But he was in the era of like the golden generation at his position. So he just he never got a chance. He never really got a chance to um rack up those accolades it's it's unfortunate it's kind of the mike conley of it all like conley yep. played in one of the greatest eras of point guards i mean he's not it, like if if you could only have one point guard make an all nba team okay well that's curry lillard harden chris paul and you know i mean we can fit more of them in because they can slot guards but yeah some some elite historical centers do get kind of screwed and it is it's kind of a shame because the game was so center focused for so long that you just you're going to lose some of them. You are, and it's and where do we draw that line ultimately? I don't know where we do it. Maybe Willis Reed. I think he has he has the hardware. I think Willis Reed is safe, even though I think he maybe not one of the 75 greatest players ever. Even in this kind of adjusting for era, I probably don't think he is. But he has two rings. You know. Fars MVPs, MVPs. He is he's pretty locked in. I think as a kind of a, like a Mendoza line of like actual quality on a basketball court, but also you have all these accolades to throw behind it, and it's like yeah, we we're not leaving um, Willis Reed off this list. For me, it's the Wes Unsel Bill Walton divide mm. uh, because like I want you to be better than Bill Walton to make my list. Like Bill Walton and up. And like Wes Unsold and down, and I can get into a, like a lot of my Wes Unsold dislike. But when the first <laughs> line of your like Wikipedia says he threw a great outlet pass, just... <laughs> <laughs> uh... I mean, he—it's he, not his fault that you know the the NBA voters just went insane for a season and were like, oh, you you kind of, oh, you're a big defensive big man with a you know who can pass the ball. Yeah, you're the MVP. Like it's not it's not his fault. <laughs> he came along at that time when he's absolutely not an MVP. He is he has maybe the worst MVP season in history. I, I want to say it was actually the was it the last year of the players vote that he got it? I can't or, remember if it was the last year of the players. I can't remember. It was either the last year of the players or the first year of um of the the writers and it became like a big controversy because it like mm-hmm. it should have been Wilts. Wilt statistically had it, but Wilt had pissed off whoever the voters were, whether it was the media or whether it was the players. And so it was like kind of a <laughs> fuck you to Wilt of like, we're going to vote a rookie MVP just because we want to say screw you, Wilt. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, which... <laughs> awful. And then, yeah, and he ends up with four MVPs. I feel too sorry for him. It, it was. It was. Um, it actually was not the dividing line year. Uh, it was the players that did the voting. Um, That's interesting. Was it because of the move to LA? It pissed them off? Or did he just say something? 
Wilt was that well loved by the players. It also, it was kind of end end years Wilt, um, and mm-hmm. and Wilt gets like locked out of the voting. Like, <laughs> but just let me see if I can grab Wilt's Wilt season that year. Because um, if you just look at it and you're trying to like retroactively, yeah, Wilt had a twenty and twenty uh, season, four and a half of assists on the LA the Lakers that would go to the finals, and it just it was so. Mm-hmm. He's so clearly outplayed Wes with a 13 and 18. I mean, you know, it just... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, But Will got that a lot. He, uh, yeah, he was uh, not, not well liked. To be fair, they, they knew some of the things that we now understand about Wilt's game were being talked about. Like, yes, he is a bit of a black hole on offense. You know, players have to sacrifice for him because he's not going to sacrifice for other players. A lot of it, and so I, I, I can totally buy that he rubbed some people the wrong way, honestly. Yeah, and also, I mean, I, LeBron had to go up against those Warriors teams, and they lost most of the years. So it's just what it is. Like, they were a deeper, better team. Wilt had to go up against the Celtics, who I don't think anybody would debate. I mean, the Celtics had four or five guys every year that made this discussion, so it just... Sometimes just run up against better teams. Well, hey, to wrap up here, is there any um, anyone else on any of the list that you wanted to kind of touch on or make a make a case for or just say that's an interesting guy? Um, one guy that I'm going to be very interested to see them most likely leave off is Derek Rose. To be, will he be the only MVP left off? Because I totally, I think guys like Bill Walton, Wes Unseld are in a lot of trouble, but someone like Derek Rose almost seems like a given he's not going to make it and it's will that be a thing like will we make that into a thing nba twitter them i i hope not like rose is an amazing what could have been and rose is actually in my mind a great reason why we should not have luca on there or anyone that's like really young and i know people point well they had Shaq in and he only played four years i i don't know if i would put Shaq in although Shaq had already made an nba finals at that point rose rose was absolutely amazing you know it's generic to just say youngest MVP of all time, but he had a really bright future that we never got to see. Yeah, yeah. I think certainly if we saw him full career, he would be in this discussion. He would be in this, I think. I think, I think mo- I'm probably lower on Rose than most people, but even I think he would be one of the 75 greatest players ever if he'd mm-hmm. had a full career at this point. Yeah, Luca, Luca, I do worry that he's going to make it. <laughs> I do. And I, I love Luca. Like I said, after his second year, I came out and said, like, look, this kid is on the GOAT trajectory. But you look at age 19, age 20, age 21, it, like, there may, ne- there may not have been a player in NBA history who has accrued this much value through this age that Luca has, but it's way too early. Like, it's just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Luca. You, you were born at the wrong time. You're going to have to be on the 100 at 100. Like, I'm just, and, and he will be, I think, absolutely. But like you say, it could be a Derek Rose. And we just we never see Luca again. And if that happened, how stupid would it look? Like it just it's not you can't do it. But I think he might just make it. They might put him on. They they ranked Giannis like ESPN ranked Giannis like the twenty third greatest player ever last year in like the seventy four at seventy four team. Like you'd never underestimate recency bias. It's something I've always found. Yeah, it just that that's my worry with AD being so high on my own uh, non biased matrix. But like. Bulls fans, I'm glad you got to have Rose for the time. I wish you had him for longer, but he, sorry, he he just doesn't belong. 
Huh? You just sorry. Yeah. yeah. And I do think I think it will probably be a thing. I just don't. I think it will probably be a thing where people say, "Oh, I can't believe MVP was left off the seventy-five greatest players ever." It's like, well, you know, happens. On that note, we both had Jokic kind of closer to the line. How would you feel if they left Jokic off? Oh, oh, I think that's I think that's a bridge too far for me. I think at this point, Jokic. He came into the league, he was pretty damn good. He has been really good now for like five years, including three. Uh, he's been, you know, all NBA uh, with an MVP. One of, to me, one of the most underrated regular seasons in NBA history is to go along with it. I, I would feel really weird if they left Jokic off at this point. How would you feel if they put Embiid on? Oh, same. <laughs> what the, f- the? No, what's Embiid? <laughs> He's played like 200 games. This is not, this is wrong. This is just impossible. Like, I think he has, he's played 260 regular season games. He's played less than 300 career games if we include playoffs. This is, that's just not this wrong. Let's just, let's close the book now. This is just, no, no. Thank you for that. For for all the people (laughs) that just, I just, I just had to put it out there because there's always that Jokic or Embiid and you'll have those well-meaning but sniveling 76ers fans he like well B would have won mvp if he had just been healthy cool be healthy like, yeah, like play, play more than 50 games and be please and yeah. then we then we talk you're awesome you are you're absolutely one of the 75 most talented players in nba history go out there and do it for a full season get healthy please I don't want to see Embiid go the way of Derrick Rose. I just, I don't want to see him go the way of like Brandon Roy or like Ralph mm. Sampson. Like mm. That's, that's the fear. But, you know, let's enjoy Embiid while he's here because in two years he might be gone. Just, oh, it's frustrating. Thing. Yeah. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on. Um, do you want to plug your pod or plug anything in here? Um, I don't really have much going on right now, but yeah, go um, join us at um, Overstated. Um, Follow the pod, the Overstated NBA show. Uh, go follow us on Twitter at Overstated. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on, man. Of course, yeah. And listeners, if you made it this far, thank you guys for listening. Go ahead, follow us on Facebook, Hoops Temple, Twitter, Temple, EAM. Email. If you've got some people that like you think should be on this list and you want to make a case, email us, uh, hoopstemple at gmail.com. Love to hear from you guys. Thanks.